Welcome to Ageless by Rescue. This podcast is devoted to exploring the science of rejuvenation, uncovering the most trusted experts, the must-have products, innovations, and technology in the field of vitality, aesthetics, new beauty, and cosmetic enhancement. Welcome to a very special episode with Michael Edwards. Dubbed the perfume experts expert by Evelyn Lauder, Michael has been an innovator, educator, and passionate advocate of the fragrance industry for over 30 years. Working closely with perfumers and fragrance developers, Michael travels the world to record fragrance history with independence and impartiality, with integrity and accuracy. Michael's work remains a universally embraced source of fragrance classification through the invention of the fragrance wheel, an essential tool for fragrance houses and retailers. Having known and admired Michael for over 20 years, I wanted to share his profound knowledge of fragrance and scent in the context of self-expression, style, and why the perfume we choose to wear places an indelible mark in our memory. In this conversation, we explore the original fragrance powerhouses, the science of selecting scent, and how perfumers work with this information to create fragrances. We talk about the evolution of fragrance development and how the reimagination of classics and globalization has spawned the rise of niche fragrance houses. In the spirit of exploring all things ageless and my love of perfumes, there really is no better place to start a personal reinvention than an olfactive walk through our memories and selecting a new fragrance to take us into the future. I'm so delighted to have Michael Edwards on the Ageless by Rescue podcast. We have been friends and colleagues and associates for I would say about 20 years now. It is such an honour to host you on the show. Um, it's a pleasure to, to be with you. And to bring us into the world of Speaking the language of fragrance, you know, one of the things that um, I've come across a lot in the science of ageless is the um, one of the most important um, triggers for memory of our youth is our olfactory memory. And, you know, we all remember uh, our parents' fragrance. Our household was a Dior household. We had mum wore Diorella. Um, or Diorissimo. Oh, wow. My father wore uh, Eau Sauvage. Uh, my grandmother wore Diorissimo. My aunties wore Diorissimo or Diorella. Uh, and to me forever, that's that's the anchor of my youth. You know, you never forget your first love's fragrance. I, I'm pretty sure mine wore Eternity by Calvin Klein. <laughs> uh, but today I would love for you, let's start with the magnificent gift that you gave the fragrance consumer, which was the interpretation of the many hundreds of thousands of fragrances that have been launched in the world into a classification system and a fragrance language. I would love for you to share with our audience what you created, the legacy that you have given the world of fragrance. Oh, Barbara, that's so kind of you to ask that question because it goes to the heart of what I think is what I've put together. It was really accidental. Um, I got downsized in 1983, some 40 40 years ago. Uh, I worked in marketing. I'd worked for Holston, the company that owned Holston. This was when Holston was a great brand. 
so successful that in the United States it made more money than the whole of Max Factor, believe it or not. Anyhow, I got downsized. I'd always been fascinated by the problems department stores perfumery have in selling fragrances. Um, you know, fragrance fascinates, and yet it frustrates. Allure magazine famously said that trying to find the right fragrance is almost as hard as trying to find the right partner. <laughs> I like that. We're not far wrong on that. Um, and we can be fickle with our affairs. You know, we've all had a few affairs. <laughs> we've all had a few faithful fragrances. We've all had the fragrance that's done us wrong and the ones that's broken our heart and lingers in the memory forever. But, you know, the ones that linger in your memory, the ones that probably broken your heart, <laughs> are, probably belong to one or two of the 14 different fragrance families. If you ask people for the names their most favorite perfumes and you get three or four almost invariably at least two of them will fall into the same family Baha, we don't know why there's many theories but there's no actual proof all we know is that that happens and when it comes to try to find fragrances we're faced with the problem there's an avalanche of new fragrances in the last 10 years for example 2012 to 2021 we've tracked over 28,000 new fragrances. Imagine that. It's but incredible. there's an even deeper problem. There is no common language in fragrance. Each of the brands describes their fragrances differently. And each of the perfumers behind the scene, the great technical companies that create perfumery, have different technical classifications. So what we end up with is a cacophony of confusion. That meant that people consultants at the counters because they couldn't figure out which ones to suggest to you because they didn't really understand what you were talking about they would tend to promote the perfumes that they themselves liked which isn't very helpful because you michael i used to work for parfum givenchy that was my first ah, job and oh, i was wow. a fragrance traveler in queensland while i was studying at university and i put myself through a course um, fragrance is absolutely my first love in the cosmetic industry. And I was lucky enough to get a job with Hagemeyer, who was the distributor at the time oh, for Parfum Givenchy. Yes. And so, and Dior too, I remember. And Dior too, yes. And yes. so when I was, um, you know, on the fragrance counter on the floor during uh, gift giving times, you're absolutely right. We weren't trained. Um, mm to understand the language of fragrance. And so we would either use our personal preference yes. or what we were taught to do at the time was to read, you know, oftentimes we were selling fragrances to men during gift giving time. So we were, we had selling techniques on how to, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, seduce the yes. client and yes. sell them this beautiful story about the fragrance yes. and use, you know, all of the tools available to a good salesperson to close a good sale. And the men were always the best to sell to because, you know, you could do a few uh, little tricks of the trade. And before you know it, they had the entire layering system of Amarige and off they go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when I got downsized, I decided I would really want to work with retailers to make it easier for customers to discover fragrances they were going to like. We, but as you know, we have such a limited time of opportunity because people 
once they've tried three or four frequencies, they feel their nose is tired and they don't want to try anymore. And so the key thing is to try to find the frequencies they're most likely to like on this one. Well, I researched every which way the brands, the perfumers sorted their fragrance, classified their fragrances. And I proposed uh, a simpler, easier to understand classification system that made it possible to match, to compare one, two, three, four, any number of fragrances. It worked because it was aimed not at the brands, but at the retailers. It made it easy for them. Uh, and I had a guidebook. There was no other guidebook available at the time. And so in 1984, I started with my first tatty little guide, maybe about 300 frequencies. And the basic idea was ask somebody what they particularly liked, look up the names in the index, see which families seem to hold the most appeal, turn to the page and say, well, if you like this, why don't you try this, this or this? And it worked. Uh, today, we have matched over 44,000 frequencies. Uh, it makes for satisfied customers and happy consultants because they're able to sell on that one there. But without that, no online fragrance finders, you know, would be possible. Because if you're trying to mismatch all these different languages, you've got a problem. Michael, one of the things that we've spoken about before, um, and certainly when I used to be a, a, a distributor of brands, I, I used to import Lattes en Parfumer, I imported um, uh, La Perla, uh, Penhaligans, Ferrari fragrances, and, um, you know, the explosion and the move away from a signature fragrance and the classics. I'd love for you to share because a lot of the people who are listening now either have a signature fragrance or a wardrobe of fragrances that are their go-tos. And you've very kindly shared that we typically tend to uh, like and choose fragrances from the same family. But let's talk about the originals. What are the classics that endure and in your mind and in your universe form the starting point for making that selection and categorization? Are there a handful of fragrances that have stood the test of time that are the original classics that endure today? Yes, with pleasure. Uh, the fragrance that started it all was Jiki by Guerlain, J-I-C-K-Y by Guerlain in 1889. It's not an easy fragrance to wear, but it started it because it was the first that put a splash of synthetic notes into the naturals that were the basis of perfumery. I know people tend to think that synthetic notes are nasty, but they're not. They're the foundation of great perfumery. A great perfume is probably a blend of the finest naturals on a skeleton of innovative synthetics. And Aimé Guerlain, who created Chiqui, when asked why he included synthetics, he said, because they gave me an effect I couldn't find in nature. I could follow through and say from Guerlain came Shalimar in 1925. Which I still love. Which and I still love. Signature, absolutely an amazing fragrance. Still today, even now, perfumers say, I wish I could create a new Shalimar. Chanel number no. five, 1921, that obviously still no longer the most successful Chanel fragrances. That's now Coco Mademoiselle, but still an enduring classic there. Uh, Miss Dior, no longer the same from 1945, 
1947 rather, but still one of the great classics. The marvelous fragrance of Léa Dutton, which transformed the- The Nina Ricci, Léa The Nina Ricci ones. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the fragrances of the uh, 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, these were avant-garde creations. They were not created for a mass market. They were created for women of great discernment, probably great money too, hard to find. They were the original niche fragrances. But after the Second World War, more people started to enjoy fragrance and discover fragrance. And Léa Dutton was probably the key one. It's so easy to like, so easy to wear. I'd have to say Diorissima of 1956, a genius of a fragrance. I know it's Lily of the Valley and you think, oh, anybody can make a Lily of the Valley. Nothing is Diorissima, nothing. Well, the fact is that you and I could take a room full of Lily of the Valley flowers. And we'd be lucky if we got a drop of oil out of it. It's so volatile. And so to create the scent of the little flowers, the perfumers have to craft many other materials. It's probably the purest fragrance ever created in that one there. I then have to look as we go into the 1960s, there would obviously be Miss Dior, for example, Calandre by Pacarabad. In the 1970s, there's one I've got to say, Charlie, and I know this will surprise you. Oh, me. what a fragrance, absolutely, well, by Charlie, Revlon. It changed our world. Um, when it came out in, in 1973, the world was changing for women. They were moving from homemakers to the office for the first time they had money. And Charlie changed perfume in the sense that until Charlie, men gave perfume as a gift to women. And women wore it on high days and special holidays there. After Charlie, women started to buy it for themselves. And by the end of the 70s, women were buying more perfume for themselves than men were spending and giving it to them. Then, of course, opium, that blockbuster, the equivalent of Jaws in the movie business. It exploded the world of perfume, 1977. I remember borrowing my mother's opium and thinking that I could get away with it, but it's such <laughs> a strong fragrance. And I wore it to my year nine dance and I'm sure I obliterated the dance hall with a liberal and heavy handed use of opium. And of course my mother busted me. There's no discretion in opium. I remember my daughter when she was 11, she went to King Copple in, in Sydney. And uh, in, my, in my study there, I had at that time a, a whole bag full of fridges in which I kept the perfumes. And my daughter had always loved exploring those ones. But one day, um, I remember going out to take the bus to school and there was a very familiar whiff in the house. I said, what are you wearing? She looked at me with big eyes and said, opium, and walked straight out the door. <laughs> Have that kind of thing. Okay, what about Giorgio then? Oh my Anything? God. Well, Giorgio changed the world. It changed the world. I know it's imprinted <laughs> in my olfactory system. But it changed the world in more ways than one. Until Giorgio, the great department stores, while they liked fragrance, they thought it an accessory. To them, the real business was in clothes and stuff like that. Because at the end of the day, to the great retailers, only two things were important. The stock term, how many times you can sell over the fragrance, and will it bring customers through the doors? Giorgio did both in spades and transformed the fragrance industry there. Then came, of course, the, the heavy breathing fragrances, Obsession, 
and red door are poison for example. I was about to say it surely poison rates of mention also one I stole from my mother and was yeah. completely <laughs> found out so obviously things had to change in the 90s and they did think of Isimiyaki but the explosion for me two fragrances in the 90s stick out one was Angel, an extraordinarily original fragrance that transformed perfumery with its gourmand tasty notes of um, caramel, the sense of chocolate in that. Vanilla. Yep. The other was probably the greatest woody fragrance ever created by Shiseido, Feminity Dubois. It's been imitated so often and has been inspiration for so many people. Who was the designer was of that? That he was quite avant-garde. I remember the perfumer for that. Michelle Drake. Oh, that was Claude, that was Serge Lutens. Serge Lutens. That's right. But Serge it was Chris Drake who created it. Um, but it was in the nineties that we started to see the evolution of what you call the haute perfumery, the niche perfumes, uh, the Lartisans, the Aniquitas, the um, Francis Kurgians, and brands like that. It happened quite by accident. It, it started back in the end of the eight, in the end of the seventies, when Jean Francois Laporte, who until that time had been president of Sicily, the prestigious skincare company, he'd always he was a chemist, always fascinated by perfume. One day he was asked by a friend if he could craft or arrange to be made a banana scent that she wanted to wear to a, a great event at the Folie Berger. And it attracted such interest that he thought this is interesting. And he set up in 76 L'Artisan Parfum when he opened his first boutique three years later. And it became the model for niche perfumes. It, it was a new style of perfumery. He wasn't worried about marketing or anything else like that, but just interesting, avant-garde, luxurious fragrances. Then came Anique Guitar in 1981. She was a concert pianist had uh, fled to London away from a, domin a domineering father. Uh, when she came back, she worked with a friend on a skincare line. She approached the oil houses, the perfumers, to ask if they could help her with the scent in. Um, none of them were interested, but by chance, she clicked with the chief perfumer of a grass house called Robertet and apprenticeshiped herself to she was not interested in marketing. The first perfume I gave to my little daughter was one of her fragrances, the sense of opening up the window in a country house when you smell the syringa, the green grass, the freshness of the country air. It was experience rather than marketing who were the keys on that kind of work. But I no think you're so right in saying that, you know, um, the first fragrance I received was also from my father. I was five years old. Um, I was born in France, um, but we moved back to Iran. Uh, but my father continued to go backwards and forwards from France. And yes. one, one, on one of his trips, he came back and he brought me a little bottle of Chloe by Karl Lagerfeld. Oh, great. The original Chloe. The original Chloe by Karl Lagerfeld. Sophisticated taste. And so years. imagine a five-year-old, that's the first fragrance a man gives you, right? <laughs> But yes. it was, to your point, what you were saying about the gift that you gifted your daughter with Anik Guttal, it was the story that remained in my heart. And he told me about walking into the Chloe Boutique in Paris. He bought it for me. He wanted to bring back a little bit of Paris for me so that when whenever I wanted to That's go great. to Paris, 
I could open up and it had a stopper. It was gorgeous. Um, and he always believes in giving parfum. He never buys her the toilet. He always gives mom and I parfum. And so I was this five-year-old with this dream. It was like Aladdin's, you know, magic, um, whatever that thing is called. But, you know, every time I opened the stopper, I felt all the sophistication and the glamour of being a little girl in Paris. You're so right. Do you think we've lost that storytelling with Whoa. this onslaught of launches? And no, 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 no. It's coming back, and I'll tell you why. One, one of the great success stories of the 1980s was Passion by Elizabeth Taylor, 1987. Yes. The first celebrity I, it, fragrance, is that correct? Nobody believed it would work. But it was an explosion of success. So much so that in the 25 years after that, we tracked over 650 new celebrity fragrances. Every Tom, Dick, and Jane of the company figured that they had to have a celebrity fragrance. The problem was, though, that the quality of the perfume went down significantly. Because in order to pay the fees to the celebrities, the licensing, to, yeah. Had to have money somewhere, and so they cut the cost of the perfume. And in the 90s, more and more complaints start to surface. It doesn't last as long as it should do. It doesn't smell as good as it should do. At the same time, in America in particular, um, the money bags were starting to discount their fragrances. You know, you launch a new one, the old ones, oh, put them on the discount market. Now, the great department stores couldn't handle this. Nordstrom, for example, one of the most strongest of the American stores, used to have a policy that they would take back anything at full price. Well, can you imagine when opium showed up at a discount store, somebody taking an opium eau de toilette back to Nordstrom saying, can I have my money back, please? And so the great department stores had to discontinue so many fragrances. Well, what do they take instead? Well, there were these little niche brands in Paris that nobody knew about. The department stores took them hesitantly, but then with enthusiasm. At the same time, you had a generation of women who'd grown up, discovered fragrance with Charlie, lived through the explosion of creativity in the 1980s. Now, in their 40s, they were looking for something different. And so there was this, it'll never happen again, this accidental coupling of department stores desperately looking for new fragrances, these little niche fragrances from Paris, or women who were looking for something different. And that started the niche. Then of course came social media at the turn of the, of, of the new century. And suddenly you had a way of talking to each other without having to go through the, um, the interpretation of the consultants and the stores. You could actually talk to people about fragrances. And suddenly, luxury came back into the fragrance field it it, it does night. feel like there's been you know you it think is. about the brands like tom ford or even erin um and you know beretto um so many lovely niche fragrances that that have resurfaced and we're we're now quite comfortable paying 300 400 i know versace have just launched a collection of um yes. premium fragrances and they're yes. gorgeous they're gorgeous. So no more kind of discounted mass fragrances. All of the houses are now reinvesting. Certainly Joe Malone had a, an explosion, uh, explosive effect um, on premium, you know, lifestyle fragrances as well. She was one of the early niche fragrance houses. 
where do you um you you talked about um or we talked about the language you created and and simplifying selecting a fragrance and you're quite right we're now having conversations online or listening to this podcast and maybe you remember fragrance that you were in love with many moons ago mm -hmm. and it informs your sense of what you like in a fragrance but you're looking for something different mm -hmm. how would you say we start the journey of discovering a new fragrance for ourselves, maybe one that speaks to the woman or the man that we are now, but still captures, you know, the happiest Lovely memories idea. of our 20s. Lovely idea. If I may, just before I go into that, to put Nish into context. In the 1970s, there were 17 Nish houses. In the 1980s, that expanded to 18 niche houses. In the 1990s, 180 new niche houses. Since the year 2000, we've tracked over 1,300 new niche houses. Gives you an idea of the explosion. Now you ask me how you discover fragrances. Well, two ways. In the old days, you needed to buy my guidebook. You no longer need to do that. Well, you're online um, and so many great well, versions. Well, there it. are two ways. Firstly, are you familiar with the encyclopedia that together with Putsch, my equal partner, we created a year and a half ago in France? It's now gone into the United States. Wikiparfum.com. W-I-K-I-P-A-R-F-U-M.com. What a genius it, idea. Well, it's that free, one it's impartial. Have a look at the notes in the perfume you like. It'll help you to discover other fragrances you might like. So that's one way. There's no charge, it's free, wikiparfum.com. Second way, um, Abaha, in 1990, 1999, I created the first online fragrance finder. We got caught up in the dot-com revolution at that time, and this was for beauty.com in America. In the 21 years, we have created numerous online fragrance finders, but no retailers really took online finders seriously. To them, the only thing important was what happened in store. COVID changed it all, totally has changed that. Uh, to give you an idea, in the last um, two years, we have introduced over 24 new major fragrance finders. And I'm not talking about for small companies, I'm talking about for Macy's in the United States, Sephora in France, Mariano, the big French perfumery in eight countries, Issy Paris, which is the Sephora of the Benoist countries, the perfume shop and boots in the United Kingdoms, Lazarus Rena in Brazil, the biggest American department store. Now, if you go on to, for example, I'll give you English ones. Uh, if you were to go on to theperfumeshop.com, and maybe if you want, I'll give you the links to any of these sites. Put in the fragrance that you particularly like, and you'll see three recommendations from the perfume selection that that perfumery stocks. So that's another starting point. Uh, you should look at the Sephora ones. Put in the fragrance that you like, play around with it and see others that come through. That is so generous of you to share those findings because I think that that's a wonderful place to start. And I love that you anchored it to, we can go back to something that we've worn before or loved before and then seek recommendations. Before we finish, Michael, 
I know that you're working on a new book and I'm so fascinated by this and we've touched on it a little bit. You're uh, writing, publishing a new book on American classics and the impact of mm. American fragrances. And I know that, you know, we often look to France as the, you know, the mothership of fine fragrances, but there have been other massive cultural influences. You know, we've had uh, the influx of oud and deep roses and quite um, rich fragrances from Arabic countries. Uh, we've definitely had a trend from Scandi fragrances, the clean notes um, and Italian fragrances at a time were extremely successful. A lot of the designer fragrances are from Italian houses. What makes the American fragrance houses special and what did they give us? It's been fascinating. It's probably my last book. I've been working on it now for 30 years. Uh, when I checked, first interview was with Josephine Catapano, the perfumer who created Fiji for Guy La Roche. That was in 1988. That's a so pretty fragrance. Well, she also did Youth Dew for Lauder and Norrell, the first significant American designer fragrance. I set out, nobody had done it before. I set out to trace the evolution of American perfumery from Bluegrass of 1934, Elizabeth Arden's first international success, uh, through to, of course, Youth Dew of 1952. Uh, that was a gift to Mrs. Lauder. She really became fascinated with perfumery uh, from 1968 with Estée. And that was probably the first American perfume that made even the French perfumers envious. Interesting. Um, when you think of what she created, it's genius. Think of Estée of 68, uh, Aromatics Elixir, still among the world's top selling fragrances. 1971, Alliage, 72, Sports Fragrance, Private Collection, 73, White Linen, 78. And we've among, worn them all, and Beautiful. Beautiful, 85, the last one on which she worked for her. She transformed perfumery, not just an American perfumery, from plonk to genius. Think of Charles Revson, a brutal man, a bully, but, oh, he had a finger that made you and I tick. He knew what we would buy. He created the first successful American designer fragrance in Norrell and Charlie that transformed the perfume business. Think of Calvin Klein with the genius of imagery. I mean, the world was really into sex in the, in the 1980s and he gave us obsession. We needed a break, so he gave us escape. <laughs> business, he gave us eternity. And finally, hugs and sharing with CKY. Then you have to take into account the blockbusters of Giorgio. And now with the new niche fragrances, Chinatown by Bond Number no. 9, or for example, Santal 33 by um, Le Labo. I, I love I absolutely love Lalabo. I am lost in their stores. I, I wear their jasmine fragrance. Yeah. I, I I have everything in it: the shower gel, the body oil, the perfume oil, the uh, eau de parfum, all of it. For me, this book has been the most extraordinary journey of my life uh, because it is my life. I started in the sixties. I've lived through it. Uh, I'm. What's interesting about this and Perfume Legends is it's not my words. I'm the word weaver. It's the words of all the people who created. It'll come out next year in Australia. It'll be here, I think, in October. Uh, so hold on for it. Michael, it is always such an honour and a pleasure. I, I think you and I, via Clayton and Margaret, are talking about how we might uh, 
uh, distill some of your beautiful stories into some kind of recording that um, we will keep forever because honestly sitting next to you is uh, you know it's like an encyclopedia of fragrance but also an encyclopedia of history not just other people's history not geographical um, history but also a, a almost a time capsule of everything we've lived through in the moment. And I think it's so nice to look at fragrance in that ageless context and through your eyes. Um, I want to thank you so much. We're recording this on a public holiday and um, the lovely Michael Edwards has made time for me to be on the show. And I, I just couldn't be happier. I always love seeing you and I love speaking to you. Thank you very much for your interest, Baha. And to all of you who are listening, my best wishes. Thank you. Ageless by Rescue is brought to you by Rescue Me Academy, Reignite Your Relationship course. Love your relationship but miss the early days? You're not alone. This course will teach you how to identify your issues, stop the fighting, find what you need to be happy, re-spark intimacy and keep the lines of communication open. Join us at rescuemeacademy.com.au to learn more about the program and to download your first free lesson. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share and rate this episode. I'd love that. 